everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here continuing with our Big Ten previews. I bet you can't guess who is Rod's number eight team. It's the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, thank you to all of you who support us the, on the show via one-time gifts through PayPal or Venmo or on a recurring monthly basis on Patreon or Substack. You can head on over to www.thefinalfoursnotontheschedule.com slash support if you'd like to swise your guilt and you're not currently supporting the show. All right, so this has been a very unusual offseason for the Hawkeyes and their little brother, the Cyclones, both in basketball and football. A lot of players are found to be gambling on sports, uh, which the state of Iowa has been cracking down on. Uh, In fact, some players have been implicated in gambling on their own teams, (laughs) not only just in their own sport. And not a lot of other, um, I guess it's safe to wager that this happens everywhere. But today, most of the college athletes round up have mainly been from the Hawkeye State. Well, let's, yeah, I, I, I think that's probably a safe assumption that wagering is going on. Um, Whether it's everywhere that guys are betting on their own teams. I I would like to believe that that's not quite as common, but um, you you never know. And what's been interesting about it is at least to date. And I think I've got this right. Definitely when it comes to Iowa, um, the one guy who's been implicated from Iowa basketball is Aaron Uless, who coincidentally or not transferred to Nebraska. Now that's not going to help him. He's probably going to have to sit the year out. Um, and Iowa state has had some guys transfer who then later we've, we've talked about Jeremiah Williams with regard to Mm -hmm. Rutgers already. Um, same deal. I, I want to say Iowa state may have had some guys in non-basketball sports who had not transferred who have been caught and Iowa definitely did in baseball. Maybe there were definitely, it was non-basketball sports. Yeah. And football, for But sure, who yeah. knows if it's right. And who knows if it's going to get wider. Um, but this, this is not, this should not be taken as, as I think you were alluding to, this should not be taken as an indication that, wow, Iowa's just got a major problem in, in terms of kids gambling. It's that the state of Iowa has opted to be very aggressive in their enforcement. That's what's going on. Right. I, I don't think we could take it as a sign that everybody else is clean. <laughs> and this was inevitable. I mean, this is an inevitable function, I think, of two things. One is the ever-increasing ease with which people can gamble, period, and on sports in particular. Um, I think I think that's part of it. And now with college students, particularly those in higher profile sports, you cannot dismiss the idea that NIL money is having an impact here. If for no other reason than it is, you know, income, it's money that kids have in their hands that they wouldn't have necessarily had before, at least not in that amount. And that's not, by the way, I'm not making an argument to say NIL is a bad idea or it should be curtailed or guardrails or any of this other nonsense you hear, but it's a fact Mm -hmm. it's, and, and, but this is, it would be the same thing for somebody who's making more money as something other than a college student, more disposable income means that 
you may perceive if you have an interest in something like gambling or drugs or alcohol or any other pathology that um, it may be easier for you to slip into it. Some of these numbers that I've seen, the amount of money that these guys were wagering, uh, maybe not the uh, the amount is one thing, but the sheer number of bets that were made by some of these guys that have been implicated in, at the Iowa schools is mind boggling. Yeah, it it suggests a, you know gambling is something that can be fun, obviously, but like other so called vices, there's a point in which it tips over into being a pathology, and some of those numbers <laughs> I've seen suggest that at the at the least it was a very very bad habit. For some of these guys, I mean, they're the number of bets they were making ranged into into four digits. Yeah, well, and I think that in a year that, that, is crazy, and that sort of speaks to the ubiquitousness of the of the ability to gamble online, especially because you can make, I don't know, yep. I mean, I, my guess is, and not being a gambler, that twenty five years ago there aren't a whole lot of people making one dollar bets on ten different games. But now it's so easy Correct. with these apps. You know, you can, you don't have to go to bookie, you know, for one dollar, but you can do small stakes. For instance, you know, one five dollars on a bunch of games, and so I think that makes it easier. Also, the anonymity that the online, you know, presence yep. provides. You find someone like your. I think Aaron Eels was using his mom's uh, name and uh, identity to yeah. to gamble. Uh, These guys right. have found out that's not right. that's not going to be a sufficient shield <laughs> to avoid getting caught. And again, that's going to come back in large part to whatever is motivating a particular state's gaming commission to look deeply at this stuff. Cause that's what went on. And I think a lot of other states are just opting to choose a blind eye or they have other priorities in terms of yeah. um, their activity, what have you, but it's, it's not happening like this everywhere, but yeah, that's, that's, a, that's not a sufficient shield and it's, yeah, it's clearly the ease with which you're, you know, it's, these ideas you hear in business circles about, you know, frictionless yeah. transactions, uh -huh. right? right? Yeah. That's what the digital age is providing us with. Well, that applies to gambling. When you've got major entities that, by the way, advertise in stadia, <laughs> not just and on on television broadcasts like FanDuel's and DraftKings, mm -hmm. you know, it's a world apart from, I remember 1991 driving out West to go to law school in San Francisco, driving from Michigan. And we stopped our last night of a five day trip. We stayed in Reno and it was the first time I ever put a legal bet down. <laughs> I put $20 on a futures bet for the lions to win the super bowl, which was, I think it was 30. I got 35 to one odds. And they actually got to the NFC Championship game. Oh, that, that was year. the year! Oh my so gosh, I was, you must have been going crazy. That was that year. I was, <laughs> I was in it. I was in it. But, but it was. But that's the point. Yeah. I, I had to go to Reno. Right. Yeah. To yeah, make yeah. that bet. Now, of course, now of course, you know, people had bookies and all these things exist. But, but that's what they call friction. Right. When you have to find a bookie to place an illegal bet, and it's all done in person, you know, all of that stuff acts as a deterrent. It's the same. It's the same as with anything else. It's the same as if if alcohol were outlawed. If we were back in a prohibition environment, it's the same as drugs. Um, you know, now that marijuana is legal in the state of Michigan, um, I haven't seen usage statistics, but I'd be surprised if it hasn't gone. I up can tell you, it's gone up because <laughs> yeah. Okay, you might know, but yeah, there's it. It it 
would be shocking if it had. Yeah, I because agree. you've still got now that you've still got, you know, you got to go. You got to actually go to the dispensary in California. I happen to know you can call it in and have it delivered to you. So that gets closer to true frictionless. But you get my point. Yeah, sure. And gambling, it's it's become it's become that way. And so none of this, none of what's gone on in Iowa should be a surprise to anyone. The only thing is, I think other universities have to be praying that their state doesn't get the idea to start turning over rocks because they'll find things. Yeah, for sure. I guarantee you they'd find things at Michigan State. I'd bet the house. Oh, yeah. No, no Some, pun intended. Somewhere. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. And to not to go down too much the, the rabbit hole, but just like the point of your frictionless thing, just looking at the economy today, right? Like if you look at spending with a credit card, it's like 16 or eight, 20% higher if you use credit cards versus cash. Cause that is a deterrent. It's yep. sort of, you know, a complicated thing. I mean, look at our show, no one's sending us cash, it, but it's a lot easier for someone to sign up and just do things in a frictionless right. way through credit cards and stuff. So, and, and it's also it, it, and this definitely goes along with betting because of the nature of it. Exactly. Um, it, that ease helps turn an impulse into an actual purchase. Exactly. Yep. So to, so to speak, yep. you know, it's like it'd be in the line at the grocery store and you just pick up that, you know, whether last minute purchase was you're waiting to check out or something. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about basketball, huh? Uh, the, I mean, the Iowa Hawkeyes last season were 19 and 14. They were 11, nine in the big 10. They were ranked 41st in Ken Palm. And it was the second year in a row that they had the loss of a national player of the year candidate. Uh, this time it was Keegan Murray, and the year before that was uh, Garza. They lost a lot of players, and you know it looked like they might struggle. Um, and uh, yet, Fran McCaffrey was once again able to get them into the NCAA tournament, and he's done pretty well. Seven out of ten years they've been in the tournament. They haven't done a whole lot when they've gotten there, even when they've had really good teams. And their profile looks very much as it has during his time at Iowa City. So they were fourth nationally in offense even though they weren't shooting really well. And we've talked about that kind of weird statistical thing, mainly because they just don't turn the ball over and that they're, they're eighth right. in turnover percentage and we're good offensive rebounding team too. So it gives you more opportunities, even if you're not shooting well defensively. Bottom line. Yeah. Yep. Right. And so defensively, well, they were bad. <laughs> they were really bad. They were 168th in Ken Palm, which is surprisingly actually not the worst they've been under Fran. That's only the third worst. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they were 318th against threes, which is, I mean, that's, that's almost as bad as you can get. I think what 351 teams, uh, they were 293rd yep. in, against twos. So, I mean, they, they were a disaster on defense and that cost them games just like, uh, but their offensive efficiency would overcome it uh, at times, especially in the, in the conference and weird things happen like that game we don't want to talk think about again you know what happened in iowa city with michigan yeah. state where they just came back from getting blitzed and they suddenly came back and won that game so this is again another year they've they've lost they've lost chris murray this time and they've lost uh they actually lost a couple siblings and so Kit, chris murray's the other half of the twins and so i guess you know is i well, we could talk about it, i guess last year but uh you know your impression i guess last season in, in iowa and then i guess heading into this year well, I, I thought it was an accomplishment given how much they'd lost, you know, two years running. If, if you look back to that team uh, two years ago, uh, Luca Garza's senior year from which so much was expected and take it to last season, not much was still on the roster. Between the two previous years, they'd pretty much cleared out the significant tr contributors. And yet 
Iowa still goes to the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I bag, you know, we, we bag on Fran McCaffrey on this podcast a lot because he's an easy target. His, his personality. And if you remember that game against Michigan state, the one you mentioned where they had the huge comeback before that, <laughs> that down. there was that segment where they called the timeout. Yeah. And he spent the entire time out staring at the ref. It was one of the most ludicrous things I've ever seen in a college basketball game. So he's easy to mock for, you know, there's the Fran Defcon chart, Frank which yeah. gets charted out every year. And I, I love it. I, I have to admit every time I forget which number it is, but I remember that the, uh, the descriptor reads Fran is on the move <laughs> and it never fails to get a laugh from me when combined with the photo that accompanies it. So he's easy to mock in that way. And he's also easy to mock because they are so horrible defensively. They are such a one end of the court program and they have been for his entire tenure. But all that aside, he's made the tournament 70% of the time, the last 10 years. At a program like Iowa, which, if they're playing it clean, is not an easy place to win. Now, they had, you know, they were from the late 70s until, say, the early to mid 90s, Iowa had a pretty good, like, 18 year ish run under under, uh, Lute Olson, who was a cheater, under George Raveling, who was a cheater. And under Dr. Tom Davis, who kind of let cheating happen. I don't know if he was as active. Bruce Pearl, his assistant was a cheater, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, So after that, it was, you know, basically 10, 15 years in the wilderness until, you know, Steve Alford had really a, a shockingly underwhelming tenure there, given the hype when they hired him. Um, Todd Licklider was an abject disaster. Mm-hmm. And and then Fran came in and stabilized things and then made them better. I would say for what Iowa is inherently uh, in terms of its recruiting territory, uh, you know, the way they support the sport, all of those factors, tradition. I would say Fran has them in a reasonably good spot. Seven out of 10 years in NCAA tournament appearance is is pretty good for what they are and i think to get beyond that either lightning's gonna have to strike or he's gonna have to go through a a john beeline late career conversion and just go hire an assistant to to hand him the defense and say make us competitive because i can't do it that's what it would take it reminds me of our conversation i think our second conversation with mike garland when we were talking uh, post game after the iowa game and, yeah. and one interesting thing he he stated was that part of the reason iowa's defense is so bad is because of the way they play offense if you recall so yep so in some Agreed. ways you know that they take so many bad shots uh, and they, that they put themselves exposed to themselves, easy offense right, for the to, other team. to difficulty yep. defending well and so and i would say yeah, there are times i'm watching i'm surprised how bad iowa's defensive ratings are because I'm like, you know, in the half court, they're not terrible, but it's because they get exposed so often and, and allow easy buckets that their defensive rating becomes uh, so low. Transition defense has never been good in general. And that's exacerbated by exactly what coach Garland was talking about that, you know, you take a particularly bad shot and not only are you missing it, but because of what happens in the aftermath, it gets the opponent into an easy basket situation for them. And it happens frequently. 
And, you know, last year, maybe more than most, you, it's such a weird team because Iowa frequently under McCaffrey has actually been a good shooting team, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're not just, you kind of have a vague impression of them as a three point bombing thing, but that's not fair. He's actually had a lot of years where the Garza years, for example, where they went into the post and they played effectively inside too. There have been, more often than not, Iowa shoots the ball pretty well. This last year, they didn't, but it really didn't matter because they don't turn it over, and they offensive rebound. They get a lot of second shots, so they just have way more opportunities to score than the opponent. So even if they're not shooting it particularly well, they're still an efficient offensive team, but that defense was just horrendous, and it's hard to overcome that totally. You can do what he's done for the most part, which is win enough games with great offense to get to the tournament, but you're not going far, likely, and they never do. I don't even think he's made a second weekend at Iowa. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have any Sweet 16s. Yeah, I can't remember when they played Tennessee. So, I think they were. I think that was to get to the Sweet 16 when they lost Tennessee a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, so you know it's been tough in that respect, but again, is that something... I mean, you're closer to Iowa than than I am in terms of following it. I mean, do you sense that there's any dissatisfaction I, I don't, with McCaffrey? I mean, look, I think uh, Iowa is first and foremost a football school, which I know people find right. kind of funny because Iowa's not great at football. They're pretty good. But that's what people care about most in Iowa. Basketball is yeah. much, very much an afterthought. It's not like it is at Michigan State where you could almost argue it's like 50-50 or some, some, you know, some close combination. So, you know, as long as the basketball team is making the tournament occasionally, I think people are, are content. There will be a point yeah. where they... And that's my impression. Yeah, and there will be a point where they will that will no longer be okay. We're like, okay, now it's time to take a step forward. But they were down for so long. And we talked to those before. Uh, just like with Tom Davis, was pretty much run out of town because he was missing recruits and because he wasn't able to win the Big Ten. And so that's where Steve Alford came in and, you know, they made those moves. Yeah. But but it takes a while to get to that point. Changed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a reset. That's, what, that's my impression. So I think when, when you look at heading into this year, we got the third year running now that they've lost an all big 10 player who led them in scoring this time, as you mentioned, it was Chris Murray. Um, you look at it on paper and you say, well, this looks a little bit more challenging for him to find the right formula, but I would say there's still solid offensive potential. And my bottom line is if I've learned anything, it's in recent years, it's don't count Fran out because um, from at least finding a way to make them competitive because it, it looked like a similar situation last year and they still got it together enough. So, and I think this team on paper, you have to look at it and say, could they be about as good this year? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, it could be a little bit like what Wisconsin where you just, you can, they're easy to overestimate or underestimate. That's it. it. Right? They're a, le- a lesser, a lesser Wisconsin. Yeah. A Wisconsin without Big Ten title contention potential. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, you can't watch this, see this because I, I have the video, you know, uh, Rod Camp, but I am wearing my Iowa basketball t shirt in honor for my wife since she's big. Yeah. So, this is the kind of shirt you're not going to find nudge printing. <laughs> nudge printing sells Michigan State <laughs> stuff. They also sell Michigan, uh, other Michigan schools, uh, Alma, Albion, uh, and Central, Western, Eastern. And actually, their shirts are far more comfortable than this T-shirt, but I had to wear this for the effect. This really gets Rod fired up. So, um, 
But head on over to Nudge Printing. You won't regret it. High quality screen printed material. Uh, they are the official sponsor for this show. For our apparel, you can buy our stuff at the Final Force on the schedule.com slash merchandise for either our logoed t-shirt or hoodie. Uh, but you can get a huge selection of other things there. There's so much there. You can't can't go wrong, really, uh, even if you want non-apparel like uh, decals and things like that. And there's some other schools outside of the state of Michigan, too, like Texas State and some others, too. So if you want to get some cool stuff, head on over to Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. 20% off for listeners of the show. They enter in Final Four into the coupon code. All right. So let's talk about some players departing for Iowa first and foremost, of course, is Chris Murray, 6'8", twin of Keegan, who went to the NBA the year before. So he was uh, he was supposed to fill in for, for Keegan and for the most part did I think he was not he was like a lesser version of Keegan but he did pretty well for the Hawkeyes he's averaged a little over 20 points a game rebound a little less than eight rebounds a game shot 48 34 and 73 uh, which is a little bit unimpressive as three-point shooting considering how much better he shot the year before of course he didn't shoot as much with with Keegan and so with increased volume I think it did not help him much and so he went to the uh, he went to the NBA he's also got picked in the first round he's headed to Portland so I mean, obviously, he's going to be missed. He's a huge part for his length and athleticism in a team that kind of lacks, a, certainly lacks athleticism. He brought some of that, which they, you know, <laughs> they need. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's really amazing to go back three, three years. And the Murray twins were both, I believe they were each sub 150 rated <laughs> recruits. So they were actually Iowa fans who criticized giving them scholarships because I remember talking about it here. I had read yeah, the criticism nepotism. that, that they, yeah, absolutely. all uh, oh, because, because their father was an all time Iowa great, that that's why they were given scholarships. Well, give it up to Fran because <laughs> both of these guys ended up as first round draft picks, Chris going to Portland in, in last summer's draft after his junior year, by the way, didn't even need all four years. Um, they're going to miss him because he was a three-level scorer. Um, and, you know, maybe a little less efficient with the deep shot as his volume went up, but still good enough to be a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and and almost eight rebounds a game. I mean, this is a guy who really, really contributed, even with the three-point shooting being a little bit down. But but overall, look, twenty points, eight rebounds a game. That's you can't complain about that production, and that's a lot to have to replace. So that's that's a big hole for Fran to deal with. Well, speaking of holes, Connor McCaffrey, 6'5 guard, obviously a son of Coach Fran McCaffrey. He's finally gone. Uh, he averaged 6.5 points a game, 4.1 rebounds a game, started 22 games this season, 117 assists to just 30 turnovers. Uh, so he is, you know, fantastic assist to turnover ratio. Shot much better. His last year, 38, 33, and 88, uh, which is a vast improvement over where he, he began as a freshman. But, you know, he from a he just wasn't consistent enough from outside to really be someone you had to always worry about. And, uh, you know, Con McCaffrey, I think he will, you know, we, we talked about his, he's, I think, a fiery guy. I know he is a fiery guy. He didn't, he kept it under wraps most of the time on the court, but I think that was definitely, um, he was. I think he could help motivate his team and get him moving. So they'll miss that. I think that edge that he that he provided for the team. So that will be also lost. Besides the fact that he's just a very a safe ball handler, right? He just fits the profile for Iowa basketball. 
Yeah, and there are upsides and downsides to that. You know, I think the upside is for for an Iowa offense that clearly prioritizes not making mistakes. Yes, big positive. I think the downside is when you have too many guys like that, you lack dynamism. Yeah. And, you know, Connor McCaffrey was never going to be a guy to really create for others. I would, I would talk about him as his assists are mostly of the, he happened to pass to a guy that hit a shot variety, as opposed to, wow, he made a play for someone. He created a shot opportunity for someone. That's okay. It's not really a knock. It's more descriptive because there are a lot of guys like that. Mm -hmm. And if, if that guy for you, for your team doesn't make mistakes, and plays that way. Well, that's great. You know, you can, you can use that, you know, as a shooter, good enough to be a credible threat, not enough to be a major positive. I think the negatives would be the lack of dynamism. And then obviously the defensive end, just not a, not ever a good defender that wasn't going to change. So, you know, it's a loss. I don't think it's a, it has to be a huge loss. Yeah. No, I think that sums it up pretty well for, for Connor. Yeah. Uh, so next would be Philip Rambracha, 6'10 center. He was a transfer the previous year uh, from North Dakota, I think it was North Dakota, North Dakota State. But uh, he was very good. I mean, he was, he averaged 14.1 points a game and seven and a half rebounds a game. So second in the team for both of those behind Ke- uh, um, uh, Chris, Chris Murray. Murray. There. Sorry, yeah. I almost said Keegan. And he was really pretty good. I thought he was a pretty good defensively too. Not, uh, not terrible shot 57% from the floor. He, he's the guy kind of guy who knew exactly who he was and didn't try and do more than he could and played hard. And I think it was very positive for them. And, uh, and part of the reason I think they were so successful losing Garza, I think, you know, losing Garza, there was a huge hole there and he was, he managed to fill it. Yeah. M- much more so last year than his first year. Mm-hmm. I thought it took any, and he was okay. He wasn't terrible the first year. But I think it took him a year, kind of, kind of akin to yeah, uh, like Tyson, Tyson yeah, Walker right, yeah. at Michigan State, where it took him a year, and that doesn't mean he was terrible, but it just took him a year to really get used to the level and kind of find his footing firmly. And then the second year he took off, I thought he was one of the most improved players in the Big Ten last year. You know, in addition to all the things you mentioned, he averaged almost one block per game, and he had more assists than turnovers, which is a rarity for a center. Um, he was just a very skilled guy. The only thing he didn't really bring you offensively is he wasn't much of a jump shooter, but around the basket in the lane, very effective, very crafty and played within himself. Again, didn't make a lot of mistakes. He actually could make plays for others out of the post. So, um, that's a, again, that's a real void losing him. They've, they've got, and they've got some options, but, um, I think when you look at his production last year, what you and he's a guy nobody talked about because of the number of of good bigs in the league, but uh, he was really effective for them. Yeah, he'll definitely be the biggest. I think he's the hardest piece for them to replace for sure going into next season. Uh, next to departing players, Aaron Eulis, we've already talked about six point. Or, sorry, six three guard, and averaging six point one points a game at forty thirty two and seventy one shooting, better than two to one assist turnover ratio. He just torched Michigan state in East Lansing, uh, which, um, but that, which is like his best game of the season he transferred to Nebraska. But of course, as we mentioned before, all kinds of gambling issues. And I, I guess the question would be whether he's suspended forever or just next year for the, with the NCAA. Yeah. 
It's a it's an open question. Yeah. I think at a minimum he's looking at a year. So really, the loss really doesn't matter because they weren't going to have him anyway. <laughs> right. I think is is where you look at it now. When it happened, when he announced the transfer, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I said, well, he was a starter. He was probably likely to at least play big minutes again. Why would he leave? But to go to, to another Big Ten school and not one where you could say it was a clear step up. But, you know, I think we, we know now that it might have been motivated by, likely was motivated by his legal situation, which we just didn't know about at the time the transfer was announced. Yeah, it's interesting. You, I, I'm almost certain, I, you probably could never prove this, but my guess is, is that McCaffrey and the athletic department knew about him and the others who are going to be swept up in this uh, this investigation and they said, just so you know, you're not going to be on the team next year. And so this might be a good time to try yeah, and transfer possibly. and get out of here. You know, and it's sort of like yep. they bamboozled these other teams and <laughs> taking and taking these yeah. players. I mean, I we'll see, I guess how it all shakes. We'll never, we may never know, but that's just my hunch. But either yeah. way, he's off the team and he's someone they probably could have used this year, but he's, he's always frustrated my wife. who's a huge Hawkeye fan. So she's not happy to see him go. Uh, finally, for departing players, Josh Gundelay, six eleven, big guy. He was the he was had showed some skills at times, but just never. I don't know. It didn't seem like he's in great shape, and so he's unable to see the floor a whole lot. Ended up transferring to Middle Tennessee. Yeah, you know, just didn't work out sometimes. And and we'll continue to talk about this in the rest of the preview. You know, I think you could look at Fran's track record and say, well, he's had some success with lightly recruited big men. You know, he hasn't, it's one thing he hasn't really done at Iowa's breakthrough and recruit a lot of top 50 guys. Never mind McDonald's all Americans. Um, and he's hit on some of them. A Gundale, he just didn't, he just didn't hit on. And as we've talked about with several guys, when you look at where he went to in the portal, it, it tells a little bit of a story that he clearly transferred down. Um, which says at least to date he had convinced a lot of people that he was truly a big 10 level player. All right. So let's talk about players returning. We'll begin with Tony Perkins, six, four senior guard averaged 12.3 points a game on 44, 33 and 76 shooting. He grabbed a little over four rebounds a game and averaged almost three assists per game, but also the team in turnovers of 55. And uh, I think the way you, I believe the way you described him last season, he's sort of the one guy who could sort of make things happen from the guard position that they don't, they didn't have the team. Yep. However, he wasn't super effective at it most of the season. I mean, he occasionally would be, but not like even for and a half, you know, it'd just be just for just spurts. Uh, and so, I mean, he'll obviously be the first, he'll definitely be the first option of the point guard this season, but you know, where they go may somewhat depend on how well he plays and, and he just and he did lacks that assist turnover ratio that you get with the other Iowa players. So it'll be interesting to see if that changes the profile of this team and their offensive efficiency. Yeah, and you know, and they they don't have again they don't have Rabracha as a a secondary playmaker out of the post. So a lot's going to fall on Perkins's shoulders. I agree that he's a he's definitely a key guy. And if you look at the way he played down the stretch of his sophomore year, that was good enough to give you a tease that he maybe had the potential to be that next guy for Iowa. Um, last season where they relied on him a lot more, it wasn't as good. I mean, the, the counting numbers are okay. 12.3 points, 4.1 rebounds, 2.8 assists. It's not terrible, 
but he just wasn't quite as efficient as you'd hope for. I still think the potential is there for Perkins to maybe even be an all big 10 kind of guy. And I don't know if they need him to be quite that good, but they need him to be significantly better than he was a year ago uh, in order for this team to really take off uh, and exceed expectations in any way. Uh, They just need him to be a more consistent jump shooter and, and playmaker, frankly, to make better decisions. I think he's going to get every chance to be the starter at the point, and they're going to put the ball in his hands, and we'll see what he does with it. Next player, 6'7", junior, Peyton Sanford. So he's a guy who's a really good outside shooter. He averaged uh, 10.3 points a game at 40, 34, and 86. He shot better as a freshman, 37% from three, so he definitely went down. And during part of the season, I think he was over 40-some percent and then went through a real cold streak and really had trouble uh, pretty good rebounder as well as most of these off players are just like I mentioned per- Perkins at four point rebounds a game, uh, mostly offensive Sanford also had averaged 4.1 a game. So, uh, you know, a guy who struggles defensively, like most <laughs> Iowa players seem to, but yeah. someone who certainly can brings the effort and has the, and has the outside ability to perhaps if he, that gets a little better, become a real threat consistently. Well, Look, he got to 34% from three, but that required a serious hot streak late in the season to even get that high. He spent a lot of the season really struggling to find his shot, and that was after he had a reputation as an outstanding shooter in high school and shot 37% as a freshman from three. So which one's the real Peyton Sanford? I'm betting that he's a little better as a junior, and he needs to be because Iowa needs, you know, you look at the guys they've lost, they need to find more scoring. Sanford is another guy along with Perkins, very natural place to turn. Good size at six seven, helps him get good looks. It's tougher for def- uh, teams defending him to contest his shot. Uh, they just need him to be more consistent. Next player, six nine, son of the coach Patrick McCaffrey. Well, uh, Patrick has had a just a really rough college career, I guess you'd say. He missed his first year because of cancer, which they talk about every time he plays. And then, of course, he's you know younger brother for Connor McCaffrey. And last year, he finally got through some the health issues, and then he came back and he had to sit out. He sat out six games for mental health issues, and that's sort of like all they were described as um, anxiety. And so came back and averaged a little under 10 points a game, three and a half rebounds a game at 41, 34, and 77 shooting. Can handle the ball pretty well for a guy who's 6'9". Uh, so it, the hard thing about him is, you know, can he mentally, I guess, stay in the game for the for the whole season? And then he's a guy who never looks, he always looks kind of awkward and clumsy. Maybe it's just because of his, he just looks kind of gangly, but he does, he does end up scoring and pretty skilled. So He's an easy guy to underestimate. I think that's that's what I always do when every time I watch him play. I don't think he plays very well, and I'm like, oh, actually, he had a pretty good game. Uh, the bottom line here is what can you count on right, from Patrick McCaffrey because he's shown enough. He's much more talented than his brother, than his older brother. He's three inches taller, so he can actually play inside and out. At times, he shot the ball well. At times, he's been an effective playmaker. But all his issues, um, the question is, you know, they always say one of the best abilities is availability. And that is a question with Patrick McCaffrey. If he's healthy 
And if he's out there full time this year, I have a feeling he'll be productive for them. And he's capable of doing much more even than he's done to date at Iowa, I believe. I believe, you know, if you told me that he ended up putting up a season where he averaged, say, 14 points, 15 points a game, chipped in with, you know, five rebounds a night, made plays for other people, I would easily, I could find that believable. But he's got to be available. Yeah, and so the the one thing I guess for Michigan State fans, don't worry. There's another McCaffrey boy coming along the pike, and he apparently is the best of the of the three boys. Yeah, right but here. you know what's interesting is I've seen stuff suggesting that, and I don't know whether this will be borne out to be true in the end, but I've seen stuff suggesting that his intention right now is to not play at Iowa. No, well, he might not want to play for so, his dad. Yeah, who knows what they're. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I've I've read that. Well, uh, next player returning is DeSante Bowen, 6'2 sophomore, played 26 games. Uh, he may have driven my wife crazier than Aaron Euless. He averaged 3.1 points a game on 47, 36, and 68 shooting, but turned the ball over a lot. So he's he's a guy who had really struggled hanging out of the ball, and, and that's why it made him a reserve and why it drove my wife crazy. I think the whole key with Bowen, and, and look, if they get him reined in, He'd give them an element they don't often have. But I, I said the same thing for whatever it was, two or three years with Joe Toussaint. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it ended in a transfer out. The whole key, but Bowen's done some things well. I mean, he done some things better than Toussaint did, namely shooting the ball. He already shot it decently right, yeah. last year. The whole problem is it's a play at Iowa a lot. It's kind of like saying at Michigan State, well, this guy does some great things on offense, but he can't guard anybody. Well, he's not going to play that much. <laughs> At Iowa, I think if you can't, as a point guard, minimize your mistakes, your role's probably going to be capped. And I think that's the whole deal with Bowen. Can he improve his efficiency as a ball handler, decision maker? If he can, you know, he could potentially move Perkins off the ball a lot. Um, but he's got to prove that he's ready to play more efficiently. Well, and in, in his defense, you know, he's now going to be entering sophomore year. So th those things can get cleaned up, too. Yeah, so, it could still happen. Yeah, he might be. I okay. think this is a big year in that respect. Correct. You see, with a full with a full off season in the program, what did he learn from that? And are you seeing signs of progress? And that'll tell the story. So next player, six, five sophomore, uh, skinny Israel, Josh Dix. He averaged two points a game on 40, 40 and 67 shooting and played about nine minutes a game. So he's the kind of guy who sort of looks, I guess, like that stereotypical Hawkeye who just shoots the threes. Uh, he had 28 assists, just 11 turnovers, couldn't play defense, but then, you know, he's at Iowa. I was I was surprised that his counting numbers, that he only averaged nine minutes and two points a game, because it, it seemed like every time, and, and this was more the case later in the year where I think he was playing more. Um, but it seemed like every time I watched them play it, it felt like he was doing something, Yeah, yeah. but you know, and he did shoot the ball very well, but it's limited volume. Otherwise though, he, I mean, this guy checked 28 assists to 11 turnovers, 40% from three, he's six, five. I mean, he checks every Fran box there is. It's easy to see why they offered him. Um, I, I gotta believe he's in line for an expanded role on the wing with this team though, with the personnel losses they had, you know, either as a starter or a key reserve, I would think his minutes are going way up. And I will say for as much as a lot of Michigan state fans 
kind of crab about the weird substitution patterns that sometimes Izzo has throughout the season. Spend about some time watching five or six Iowa games and try and make any sense of how the Iowa works their their bench. It is totally bizarre the yeah. way they have the 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 combinations they have on the floor don't make any sense half the time. So if you think it Michigan State irritates you, just watch Iowa basketball for a while. <laughs> That's why like you won't yeah. not, it never makes any sense what's going on and how they I don't know if they yeah. predetermined how many minutes to get. I don't know. It's it's really weird. Uh, final re- re- returning player Riley Mulvey, 6'11", 250 pound sophomore. He basically came into uh, spot duty just to play at the five. So it's hard to know if he's going to do a whole lot more. He didn't seem particularly skilled the few times I saw him play, but of course he was a freshman and a big guy. Yeah, I think you know what you can say is he's in line to. Um, maybe play a little bit of a role off the bench, but um, they've added a lot of size to this roster. And so Mulvey's going to have to hold off some people to even get, you know, spot duty role in the paint. All right. Well, let's talk about the newcomers right after we talk briefly about the brothers who just do gutters. Those guys take care of all your water problems that you have on your roof, on your business or your home. We all have gutters because we all deal with rain here in Michigan. If you live on the west side of the state, Grand Rapids area, out to the lakeshore, or on the east side of the state in the entire metro Detroit area, the brothers at Just Two Gutters have you covered. They can repair, replace, or clean. They can take care of everything. Uh, they will. They do a fantastic job. They're very efficient, fully insured, and they get things done at pretty much any weather. They fixed my gutters in February, which I didn't think it was even possible, but they're out there in like sleet taking care of things. Did a great job and got all my gutters fixed and I don't have the problems I used to have. So I'd highly recommend them. Give Kurt a call if you're on the east, uh, west side of the state. Give Greg a call if you're on the east side of the state. You can mention Final Four to get 10% off your order. You can find contact information below in your podcast player or if you check things out, you can go to the website at the Final Four is on the schedule.com and just find the episode and you can find the contact information there. So as we talk about the newcomers for the Iowa Hawkeyes, big addition through the portal is Ben Cricky. Uh, he's a 6'9", 230-pound uh, player who's averaged almost 20 points a game and six rebounds a game for Valpo. Shot 55, 28, and 80 on the season, averaging two and uh, 2.2 assists per game and a block per game. So he's obviously the replacement for uh, Philip Rimbracha. Very skilled guy, uh, very good player at the Missouri Valley. So we're seeing this a lot. There are a lot of these kind of seems like the best players in Missouri Valley this year. A lot of them have moved to the big 10. Yeah. I, I, and, and he's critical, you know, they need him to give them maybe not everything Rabracha did, but a lot of it. And he, it looks to me like he's like, he's got the potential to do that. I mean, the numbers at Valpo are impressive, you know, more than 19 points, six boards a game, very efficient around the rim, very efficient at the line. Um, decent playmaker out of the post. It looks like about as good a replacement for Abracha as you were going to be able to realistically find in the portal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he shoots the three more than Abracha did, but 28% from three doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that you want him turning that loose very often. So it seems to me if you can get him to be primarily a post-scoring option, use his passing skills to help create opportunities for others and to rebound that would be plenty and i think there's a reasonable chance they can get efficient play out of him 
I watched some Missouri Valley last season, but I don't think I ever saw Valpo play. They're a pretty bad team, so I didn't see them yeah. play much. Yeah, they've they've struggled since they moved up from the horizon. Next player is Evan Bronze, 6'9", 240-pound transfer from Belmont, uh, but he's originally from Iowa City, so it makes sense that he comes back to Hawkeye Nation. Uh, he averaged seven points a game on 5.3 rebounds a game, shot 58% from the floor and 69% from the line. Yeah. And this is a guy, you know, those numbers aren't, aren't earth shaking at Belmont, which is a good program, but you know, obviously a significantly lower level than the big 10. I think you get a guy like bronze to play a role. He's pretty much exclusively an interior player. So you're not looking at him to stretch the floor but you want him in there to give you experience, some depth, some physical presence, get you an occasional bucket around the rim, grab an occasional rebound, use his body to take up space in the paint on defense. And, and that's really all you need. So I would anticipate this is why I think it's going to be tough for Mulvey um, yeah. to, uh, to play a lot because I think bronze makes more sense as your, your backup at the five. Next is a new freshman, top 100 recruit, 6'7", Price Sanford, obviously, younger brother of Peyton Sanford. So he is supposed to be better than Peyton as far as uh, ability to use a ball and to shoot. So they're obviously excited to have him come to Iowa City. If he's got anything, if he's even close to as good as Peyton, he'll be he'll get some time for sure this season. Yeah, I think he's in line. I'd be kind of surprised if he doesn't earn a starting spot opposite his brother. And and you pointed out the areas that are of difference between the two and why Price is seen as a better prospect. He's also a good deep shooter, but where they separate a little bit is Price supposedly much better off the ball or uh, off the dribble with the ball in his hands. So he may be uh, that he may give them that kind of dynamism that they lacked last year. Um, and and the dynamism that they had was largely in the hands of Chris Murray. So that's gone. So they need it to come from some other places. I think Tony Perkins can give them some of that, but price Sanford would be, if he lives up to his billing would be another possible direction that could come from. It is interesting. There are just a lot of brothers that have been in Iowa recently, McCaffrey, the Murray's and now yeah. the Sanford brothers. Yep. Uh, next player, six, nine, 230 pound, big man, uh, Laje Dembele, uh, he's a recruit that Fran went after. And, you know, again, to your point, Mulvey having trouble getting in the, getting on the floor. This is another person who might be a little trouble to jump by Mulvey. Yeah. You just don't know. I mean, Fran, Fran takes, you know, he takes some of these lower echelon, lightly recruited guys and he's turned them into impact players often enough that I think at least early in their career, you really, you really don't know which guy, you know, somebody's probably going to evolve, but you don't know who right now, as I look at it, I think Dembele is on the outside looking in for consistent minutes, but um, we'll see what he develops into. And the next two players are both from Moline, Illinois. So for those of you who want a great trivia question, go to the bar. It's Moline is one of the quad cities, the other three cities. Do you, you know what they are? Don't you Rod? Does Davenport one of them? That's one of them. That's the, those are the easy ones. Uh, <laughs> this is a good trivia question. Yeah. D- yeah. I, I don't know. It's Rock Island and then Bettendorf, okay. Iowa is the other one. So those are two. Okay. <laughs> I had a kid in med school, went to bed, was from Bettendorf. Anyway, a little useless trivia you get to learn here. All right. So next is Owen Freeman, a uh, 6'9", 220 pounder, 
uh, more of a power forward than a center. And so they're hoping he can stretch the floor a little bit. Yeah, he was he was a guy um, who MSU actually offered, although, you know, when when the Xavier Booker thing really took off, I, I don't think that was a committable offer. Um, but MSU was interested in him. So he's got a nice combination of size and skill. And, you know, you look at his offer list. He, he wasn't a top 100 guy, but MSU had an offer. Illinois, Indiana, Marquette, Ohio State, Purdue, Northwestern, Wisconsin. So that says most of the Big Ten, or a lot of the Big Ten, at least half of it, was very interested in. So that tells you something. Like, that's not true of every Iowa recruit. Right. Um, I suspect, you know, right now, assuming availability, I would say Patrick McCaffrey is likely your foreman in Iowa. But I, I think Freeman is in line to play a role if he's as good as advertised. So, you know, they like him as a shooter. Obviously, his size means he may be able to do some damage around the rim. And he's a good enough athlete. They think he might actually be a little better defender than what they're used to rolling out there at the post spot. So an intriguing player and one that I think, along with Price Sanford, has a real shot to play as a freshman. And finally, for newcomers, six-foot point guard Brock Harding from Illinois, uh, like I mentioned, Moline. He was a teammate in, both in high school and AU of uh, Freeman. Yep. not This is a France special. So not <laughs> heavily recruited, not highly ranked. But you look at him, and boy, we've seen a lot of guys like this under Fran. Um, less athletic, six feet tall, so not very big. But he's reportedly very skilled, guy who can shoot. He can move the ball without making a ton of mistakes. So I think what it comes down to, to me, is a couple things. One, is Perkins good enough at the point that they say, okay, we could start Tony here? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that will impact on Harding. Then the other thing is how much has Bowen learned? If Bowen has settled in and is less mistake prone, well, he gives you more athletically than someone like Harding does. So he's probably ahead of him in the pecking order. But if he hasn't figured that out, somebody like Harding, assuming his high school profile translates and he's able to shoot well and he's able to not make mistakes, we've seen Fran embrace these kind of guys. I mean, right. You know, his now his son was significantly bigger, but his son, Jordan Bohannon, um, mm -hmm. although this guy was more highly regarded, Mike Gessel going back a few years, you know, there have been a number of these kinds of guys. You you don't have to be. I mean, honestly, not that I'm, I'm, I'm glad he came to Michigan State for the time he did, but somebody like Foster Lawyer probably could have played a lot for France. Yeah. You know, and and so Brock Harding is kind of in that vein. So a guy like him that in other programs you might look at and say, boy, it's going to be tough for that guy to get on the floor. You don't conclude that too quickly at Iowa. So we'll see with Harding. Well, if you stumbled upon the show and you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe. If you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, that way you don't miss a single episode. You can also check out our website, the final fours on the schedule.com. Uh, there you can sign up to be on our email list. So you don't miss exciting games we have uh, one of the contests we're having this season is the beat rod where he's predicting teams big 10 teams standing final standings one through 14 you can do the same and try and beat him and win free nudge printing stuff uh, so you can send that in to eric eric at tffinots.com 
and make sure you just put in your name and also how many points you think Michigan State will score against Michigan this season. And remember, they play them twice. That would be our tiebreaker, which we had to use last year to separate some winners. So again, 1 through 14 on how the teams will finish. And we use the Big Ten tournament seeding because that's the only way to really do it reasonably. All right, so overall for this team, I don't know, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to guess because again, they look depleted, but then you see potential, right? In this, in this lineup and, yeah. and you kind of know you have a history with, with Fran McCaffrey and you know, he's not, it's not like the cupboard's entirely bare, right? He has parts that work, were working well last season. So you would assume that they're going to be competitive. They're going to be a pest. They're going to beat you at times, uh, but they're also going to disappoint you if you're an Iowa fan a number of times as well. Well, I think, look, there's a, there's a number of levels you look at this. So the first thing is, what do you got coming back? And they've got some guys who have done some things, but those guys need to elevate their performances significantly. So Perkins and, and uh, Peyton Sanford mm-hmm. have to be more consistent. They just have to be. As shooters, first and foremost, um, they've just got to be better than they were. Patrick McCaffrey, his son, has to be available. If he's able to play all the time, They'll get good production out of him. Um, but, you know, I like the odds of at least a lot of that coming to pass and to some to some level. Because history, this is where Fran's track record comes in. History tells us this is kind of what he does. Guys get better over time, offensively at least, at Iowa. And so I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that Perkins will find another level of consistency that Sanford will have his shot dialed in from the start of the year instead of, you know, halfway to two thirds through, um, you know, Patrick McCaffrey's a little more of a wild card just because his, his issues have just been unrelenting his whole career. But if he's able to stay in there full time, they'll get something useful out of him. So I, I like the odds of that happening. Then the next step is what do they get out of the newcomers? Well, they need Cricky to be really good. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean 20 and 10, but they need him. They need him to be a bona fide Big Ten center that can play the way Fran needs him to play, meaning he'll run some offense through him. He's effective on the boards and he's efficient around the rim, giving them a low post presence. Um, I think that the two guys they've added in the post in the transfer portal have the potential to be good answers. Um, Price Sanford kind of has to live up to his billing, which doesn't mean superstar, but it means a guy who is capable of stepping in and playing a big role, maybe even starting immediately and giving them real offensive production. And then, you know, you look at Freeman and and Harding and you're not certain what you'll get out of those guys, but boy, they both seem to fit that Fran profile of very skilled offensive players and so it's not crazy to think, yeah, th- those guys could be helpful. So I think most of putting them here is based on Fran's track record of being able to get enough offensive improvement and efficient offensive play out of whoever he's rolling out there. And I think that's not a crazy bet to make. Um and then after that, it just comes down to how effective are the newcomers. And I, I'm inclined to believe they'll get enough out of those guys. Cricky having done it um, in the Missouri Valley is helpful. You know, we've already talked about one Missouri Valley player at Nebraska who's a big man. Cricky actually was more productive 
in that in that same league. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's reason to be optimistic that he's going to be pretty good at center. And if he is, and those returning guys I mentioned are, you know, find that that next level up. I think saying Iowa is a tournament team again is not a stretch. They're in the mix. I'm giving them an edge over some of these other teams based in large part on France track record. Um, that's not a hundred percent certainty to hold, but if I got to make a choice, that's why I'm making that choice. Sure. And if you look at the teams that you've had picked a little bit behind them, there are actually even more questions there. I think it, as far as, so it, it's, I think totally reasonable where you have them. Uh, and then I don't know. I mean, I think again, we're just talking, we're splitting hairs a lot of times here. And, and when you were ranking coaches early this summer, I think you had McCaffrey as much as we kind of tease it, you know, joke about him as the third best coach in the, in the league, because they're just of the track record. A lot of the play, coaches have, did I have him there. I think so. Did I have him third? I think so. I have to, go back, but I'm wow. pretty sure that's where it was because it was sort of like, okay. you know, Shrewsbury would have been there, but he, he yeah. left and you know, you, yeah. it's like there's you know, his own I, painter and I then I there's kind of like it. everybody else. Right. Yep. Yep. I, as I think about it now, I mean, I'm sure I had a good rationale at the time <laughs> and, and the more I think about it, but I think if I, if I remember correctly, I think I must've said something like, yeah, at first blush, I would have said no way. But as I thought about it, I thought, yeah, it, it probably is a defensible pick. Because the rest of these guys have holes too. Yeah, I mean, if you think there aren't, you know, guard and Collins and yeah. you know, uh, you know, yeah, Holtman and Holtman. Peichel and uh, yeah, you know, and the guys Rhodes who hasn't played, you know, had yet Underwood, Howard. I mean, there you go through the list, and there there's not anyone who jumps out like, oh, what are you crazy? So I mean, you got to have someone who's got to be third. Yeah. So anyway, so and certainly the Fran, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think this is the year that Fran has his big breakthrough and wins a Big Ten or you know, goes on a run to the sweet 16 or the elite eight in the tournament. I don't see it as that kind of team, but as a team that has a legitimate shot to get back to the tournament. Yeah. I'd go that far. Right. Well, and you know, maybe one of these years you get, get the right matchups in the tournament. You can go a little ways too, which would be kind of nice for the big 10 to get a couple of those teams that surprise people. All right. Well, uh, until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. Thank you.